I think all the interesting stuff happening in open banking will probably be in in the next few years when people start to really work out what kinds of new things can you build as a result. It's very much a, it's an infrastructure capability. It's not a, not a thing in itself to be to be celebrated. It's, it's going to enable a whole bunch of things to happen, which perhaps we can't even imagine yet. Today's guest is Ed Molyneux, the CEO of FreeAgent, an accountancy software platform and tech startup based in Edinburgh. And as you can tell from that clip, we talk a little bit about open banking. This is Tech Talks, the twice-weekly podcast discussing the latest trends in the technology sector. So if you're looking for some insight from leaders across the sector, or you're just looking for a little bit of technology news, this is the podcast for you. Right, before we get into anything technology-focused, hello, Sean. Hello, how you doing? How are you? I'm all right. I've got a bit of a crispy throat going on. but A crispy uh, throat? Yeah. You know, it just feels a bit raw, a bit sore, had a bit of a cough, all of that, which... Sudden it, changes in temperature that we're yeah, having at the moment. Yeah, I'll blame that. It's definitely not the drinking. Have, have you noticed that the mosquitoes seem to have all woken up at once? Uh-huh. Yeah, we went through a stage in our house of just all being like, oh my God, it's their bed bugs, we're all getting bitten. And everyone's just like freaking out. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's just mozzies. It is. <laughs> so. The mozzies have gone nuts and it's thoroughly frustrating. Mm. I, uh, I'm so bad as well. can't help but squeeze and pick at it, which is just really bad. That's pretty grim. I know, but I, just, I can't. It's, okay, anyway, yeah, maybe that's too... <laughs> maybe that's an overshare for for today, but there For a Thursday go. morning. Yeah. <laughs> if you are suffering due to the heat followed by the rain, followed by the insects. We feel you. Um, Up in Scotland, less mosquitoes, probably a few more midges. There you go, there's a tenuous link. Really? What? Is that that a thing? Oh yeah, you get midges in Scotland. Ooh, lots of them. Very interesting. Fact of the day. You know, probably not in central Edinburgh, but there we go. (laughs) Uh, Today's guest is Ed Molyneux. He is the founder and CEO of Free Agent. Uh, They are based up in Edinburgh, Uh, but we will hand over to Ed for today's interview. Stay tuned. Afterwards, myself and Sean will have some thoughts and then we'll have a quick bit of news. So on today's episode, we are talking to Ed Molyneux, uh, the founder and CEO of Free Agent. How are you, Ed? I'm very well, thanks, Dave. How are you? Yeah, good. Based up in Edinburgh, right? Well, yes, we are. We've been here for, well, actually, it's, it's over 12 years now um, we started, so, uh, and, we're, and we're loving it up here. Out of interest, why Edinburgh uh, to, to start the business? Well, it's, it's an accident in geography as much as anything else. So I, 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 you can probably tell by my accent that I'm not a Scotsman by birth. Um, well, to be fair, there's, there's a lot of Scots who have very kind of stereotyped plummy English accents. I'm not saying your accent is plummy, but if you think of, if you think of like, like a Rory Stewart, you tend to get <laughs> Scots who really don't sound very Scottish at all. So I wouldn't make that assumption. I'm not sure Rory Stewart, archetypal Scotsman, is quite what he was going for. But um, ah. yeah, I was actually, uh, I, I was born in London, grew up in London, uh, moved around a little bit since. And really, um, my journey up to Scotland was based on uh, moving up here with my young family mm-hmm. um, back in the day. And it, it just really sort of happened to coincide with the starting of Free Agent, as much as anything uh, you know, more deliberate than that, is where we happened to be when the company was founded, really. So, how do you find Edinburgh as a place? I mean, obviously, you've raised a, a young family there. Is it, is, is it somewhere that you would 
I'm assuming it is somewhere that you would recommend to Absolutely. tech entrepreneurs, but it's, it, you know, it's a little bit outside of the London bubble. It and, is. And, and we tend to think of London being the centre of the universe in the UK. <laughs> for very, very wrongly, but it would just be interesting well, before we dive maybe, into free agents. Maybe, maybe podcast hosts do. I'm not sure that, that many other people do. I think the thing, <laughs> I think we, you know, Companies find their own place, don't they? And, and, and I absolutely love Edinburgh. I think it's um, you know, one of the most beautiful cities in the world. And it has a kind of human scale to it that, that mm. I don't get in London. Um, and I guess a, an affordability. And um, I think it's a great place to be. And it's sort of really come along a lot in the last 10 years in terms of its startup ecosystem. Um, I think we kind of, you know, I, I sort of wish I had some of the, the support and infrastructure that there is now in Edinburgh around when we were starting for agent, but, um, but it's, it's been a great place to be in a way. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, momentum and noise and, and talent down in London, but we found our own place up here and we bring people up from London regularly, either returning home to their roots or wanting to live in Edinburgh. And we're not really competing with, um, you know, all the cool kids in, uh, in old street, um, for, for, for engineers um, we tend to we tend to hire people we tend to hang on to them for a long time and uh, and that wouldn't be the case um, down in London so I think we found our way of making it successful in our own way up here yeah it's an interesting different dynamic to the narrative that tends to get painted down here so that's interesting anyway look first and foremost what is free agent well free agent is an online accounting system uh, and it's built really for uh, what we call micro businesses, so that's businesses with fewer than ten employees. But most of our customers are freelancers, contractors, consultants, uh, the self-employed, um, you know, tiny businesses, perhaps with a handful of employees. And that's what we're really designing for, because I think what we saw when we founded the company was what's out there in terms of software to support these kinds of businesses. Uh, it was pretty poor then. It's not actually much better now. Um, and we wanted to do something that was a bit different that was specifically for these kinds of businesses. I've got to admit, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that it, it's not an area that um, existing players in the market would have looked at. Maybe not, maybe not an online soft piece of software, but I would have thought accounting solutions for freelancers and micro businesses would have been a real boom market for some of the bigger players in the market. Yeah, I think found the niche. That's right. I think, I think what our approach to it has, has been much more, well, I think if you look at what's out there and you, and, and as a, as a sort of freelancer, you look at it, then what you'll tend to get is you, you've got the core package from, from all of those guys, which costs you know, a decent amount of money. And then they'll produce something which is their starter version or their entry level version, <clears throat> excuse me, which is really just the core package, but with all the interesting features, you know, removed. And we sort of approached it with a point of view of saying, uh, this is not about less functionality. It's about different functionality. What can we do for businesses that are a bit simpler um, that can help them be successful? And where we come to with that is more tools to help people in their day-to-day -day work. So, you know, if you if you track and track your time and charge it onto your client, you know, that's in for agent. There's more tools to be able to allow you to forecast your tax liabilities because we're dealing with somewhat simpler companies 
um, we can uh, we can have a, a model of tax that really helps people get a handle on what their tax bill is going to be you know, next year, the year after that. It's really important for people to know. And those aren't things that are available in those other products because they're, they're trying to appeal to small businesses as a whole, which is an enormous uh, range of businesses. And we're saying, let's narrow it down and see what we can build for, for just our kinds of customers. Um, out of interest, is there much machine learning and AI built into to the software that you're putting out to market? Yeah, there, there is. There's a limited amount that we use at the moment, and that's primarily in relation to helping customers automatically categorize transactions um, that go through their bank account. So one of the time-consuming things that you would have had to do in the past with accounting software or, or have somebody do it for you would be to do what in, the old, in old speak you'd call bank reconciliation, which is really to sort of explain what's going on in the bank account in a way that the accounting system can understand it. So one of the things we are able to do is learning from what other customers do and what you do in terms of how you've categorized things in the past we, we, we make some inferences about what you're like to categorize things that are just coming in and, and save time in that way. So it's interesting because accountancy is often thought of as being the area, it's often held up as that example of one of those um, skill sets that these are most threats when it comes to automation. And it, it's interesting. I was sent through some, some research that you've conducted. 75% of accountants think that some accountancy work will be automated. 11% of accountants think that a robot or AI could do their job. 82% yeah. don't think that a robot or AI could ever do their job. So there's, there's obviously some disagreement within that community. And I, I thought it would be interesting to get your insight on how you think it is affecting that industry because obviously there will be elements as with every line of industry mm -hmm. where there will be quick wins for automation but other right. where where the traditional human worker will will always have uh, added value that's right and i think i think we, and we talk to to accountants you know our customers and we go out there talking to accountants about this quite a lot because it, it help understanding how we think this profession will evolve um it is really important uh, to work out where you know, where pe where people's work is going to be in the future for for accountants. And the way that we talk about it is really thinking about you know, the, the job of a, an accountant, the profession of accountancy, is not a monolithic whole. It's made up of a bunch of different sub jobs that are sort of layered on top of each other. And one the one at the bottom, if you like, is the really boring stuff, which is gathering together data. You know what I guess what used to be called bookkeeping. And then above that, if you can successfully do the bookkeeping, then you can start to use that data to generate some uh, accounting reports like a profit and loss or a balance sheet if you're into that sort of stuff. And if you can do that successfully, then you can take care of people's tax filings to some extent because you know you've got the numbers to work with. And if you can do that successfully, then you can start to add value to the business, which is to sort of you know, how should next how should we think about next year's tax position? How can we grow the business? What are the right things to focus on? And they very much build up as a sort of layer cake from the bottom to the top. And you have to each one is sort of dependent on the layer underneath. And what's important to realize is that, like in many different industries, um, the way that those layers progress 
uh, as technology evolves, it is at a different rate. And so the layer at the bottom, you know, we are trying to automate completely. So you never have to think about bookkeeping. It's just, you see the transactions coming in from the bank, all the invoicing is done in free agent. They're all automatically matched together and you can, and, and you've got the, you've got the, uh, the books effectively. Mm. And then we're trying to automate the bit above, which is what kind of reports are useful to people, and the bit above that, which is about tax. But the bit that's much, much harder to automate is the bit at the very top, which is the business advice. Uh, and that's really where the accountants you know, do a lot of good. They add a lot of value because those things are much more subjective they're more about the relationship between accountants and a, a customer you know what are their hopes and fears for their business and so on but it's very very hard to 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 to, to put into software uh, let alone to automate so when sometimes when accountants say well my job is going to be very different i think what they're really saying is a positive thing which is i should be able to spend more time at the top of that stack of value than at the bottom of that stack where i'm spending all of my time nowadays chasing my clients around for pieces of paper and receipts and that is actually a very positive thing and if people are operating only really in the automatable layers then yeah you know i think over time computers will be doing more of that and that's our job to make that as efficient as possible but if they're really adding value to customers then there will be this sort of irreducible human element which in a way should get a lot easier because now you know that you've got the data to work with to be able to have a proper conversation with the client so again a positive thing we think yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, the the UK regulatory environment has often been lauded as a real positive for, for fintech and, and how the UK has been able to be seen as a global leader. And obviously, open banking is a big part of that. How, how has open, we often talk about open banking, but how has it actually affected the growth and evolution of the business over the last 12 years? Well, it's a relatively new arrival on the scene, um, I suppose. And in reality, many of the things, well, some of the things we can now do through open banking, we've been able to do in other ways in the past, albeit much more messily, I suppose, using other services to gather bank transaction data. And it's something, though, that we do know makes a big difference to our customers. Just this idea that rather than, you know, on a monthly basis, you'll dig out the old bank statements and you'll get the books up to date. Instead, if you've got transactions from yesterday or even today arriving in your accounting system, then it drives a lot of really positive engagement of customers with the system because it feels more like a it feels more like a real-time thing than a, a thing to batch up and say for a mm. for a, a rainy Sunday. So that does drive a lot of of, um, of engagement with our, with our customers. It makes it feel much more immediate to them. Um, with open banking, I suppose it's made that a lot a lot uh, a lot cleaner, um, a lot more reliable in lots of ways. Um, but I suppose most people reflect that um, well, a everything's happening a little bit later than people would like from an open banking point of view, and I don't think it's necessarily um, legacy banks dragging their heels, but just some of these things are, you know, it's, it's new to them and, uh, and it's, com it's relatively complicated with very old systems. But in a way, um, I think all the interesting stuff happening in, in open banking will probably be in, in the next few years when people start to really work out what kinds of new things can you build as a result. It's very much a, it's an infrastructure capability. It's not a, not a thing in itself to be, to be celebrated. It's, it's going to enable a whole bunch of things to happen, which perhaps we can't even imagine yet. 
How important has that development of the fintech ecosystem been for you? Because in the last couple of years, we have seen a number of new brands really come to market quickly. We've seen, I mean, if I think about the, the companies we've had on the show, the likes of Starling Bank, Revolut, Pension B, uh, Free Trade, they're all reasonably new businesses. I, I don't think certainly that they've been as long uh, around as long as you have. Has their emergence and the ability to work with them helped propel you forward? Yeah, it absolutely has. And I think um, what we see, I guess, is really there's a very natural convergence between banking and accounting. Um, And in fact, if you sort of take it a step beyond between financial services in general and accounting, because at the heart of all those financial services is really data, and if there's, a, if there's any kind of hub of data that lives in, the, in a business's financial world, it is their accounting system. It's where everything naturally gathers. So all of, all of the opportunities to remove friction and to create new, create new propositions around the accounting system is something that, that, that is very welcome to us because it drives the platform forward and it cements the platform as a, as a, a valuable hub of data. So it's all good, and uh, the more competition there is, um, the better, because it raises customer expectations, it, 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 it drives innovation, and, uh, and that's what we've seen the benefits of in the, in the last couple of years. So just to circle back around to, to the topic that we were touching on at the beginning with, with regards to location, I think this, is, this would be quite an interesting one for any insight for peers. Whilst you very positively talked up the differentiators between, say, Shoreditch and, and Edinburgh, the investment community tends to largely be based in London. Is that, has that been a challenge? Have you had to approach kind of investment and, and that piece slightly differently being north of the border? Much to my disappointment in the first few years of, of, of um, building Free Agent, when we started to look for investment, we didn't find any of it here in Edinburgh. And it, it, in reality, it's a, you know, it's, a sh- it's a short hop on a flight down south. And so it wasn't a big deal for us to, to look south for, for financing. And I don't think any of the investors who came on board back then or more recently um, would have considered Edinburgh to be a negative um, But you had to go to them. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And um, you know, if you, you, you've got to get out of the building anyway to go and raise money. If you're going to get out of the building and get on a plane, then it's not, you know, not, not, not such a big deal. I think one of the benefits of being up here is um, it's it's probably cheaper to build things up here. I think you can rely more on on uh, engineers in particular um, staying on board for an extended period of time. I think there are genuine problems with churn down in the in London for employees. Yeah. Um, and so, actually, arguably, you raise your money elsewhere, and you can build a you can build a proposition, you can build a company up here um, more economically than I think you would be able to do in London. And, and your, your, your pound goes a bit further up here than, than down south, arguably, which is not a bad, not a bad no, story. Absolutely not. And look, I, you know, I am based in London, but I'm from Newcastle. I'm, I'm always keen to hear that, that regions outside of the southeast are developing. It can only be a good thing for the UK, but it's, it's interesting to, to get a sense from someone based elsewhere if the VC community is waking up to that and looking at 
different propositions. You know, the, the, the narrative I've heard is exactly that, that people in Edinburgh or, or Belfast have to jump on a plane to come to London to attract that investment yeah. rather than hoping that the investment community will come. I, I think, I think it's a, you know, raising money is difficult in, in, in every, in every circumstance. And if you want to go and do it, then you will find ways of going and doing it. And uh, it's either a plane or it's a tube ride, but either way, um, you've got to get out there and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Last point. Um, I just wondered if anyone's listening and they don't have necessarily that education, but they have got similar experiences of, of the Air Force or so on. What, what kind of skill sets do you see as transferable that could really help the technology scene and broaden out that skill set? Well, purely from a technical point of view, I don't think it's ever been more straightforward to, to, to rapidly get up to speed with um, technology. The, the number of outfits around nowadays who will do that with you um, is growing fast. We have a place called Code Clan up here in Edinburgh, which takes people from all different walks of life and gives them a kind of, you know, a, a boot camp in coding. And um, we've actually, you know, we, we find CodeClan to be a great place to hire junior engineering talent here. Um, if you have the aptitude for it, then there are these places around which will just get you up to speed. Get you up to speed. There's a there's there's, there's money involved, but um, but if if you can do it, then 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 that's completely possible. So that kind of technical background is um, is is you know is get is gettable. I think a lot of what is valuable in thinking about business is really a, a knowledge that spans technology and one other domain. If you can understand both technology and something else, then you can understand how to solve problems in that other domain. If you're just technical, then you're always going to have to find somebody to help explain a problem to you. Um, and then you will find a way of formalizing an answer and writing it down in code. If you understand both, then you're kind of working on the technical solution for the problem that you see uh, uh, inside your own head. And that, I think, is a, is, a, is a big advantage. So it's almost better to come with an understanding of another domain and learn the technology um, than just come at it from purely a technical aspect, I think. Fascinating insight. Look, it's, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And thank you for sharing a bit of, of the free agent uh, story with us and, and some insight into what's going on in that market. Um, and I hope that the weather holds and you have some, some more pleasant weather up in Edinburgh. Uh, let's face it, the whole country could do with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks very much, Tim. What I found um, really relevant about this is over the last few weeks on the podcast, we've been speaking to a lot of founders and co-founders of technology businesses who all say, yeah, everyone wants to be a founder, but actually it's quite good to go and work in a, in a business and see how a business works before you go and start your own company. And here's someone providing accounting solutions, which is one of those things that if I was to set up my own business, I wouldn't have a flipping clue to go how, how to go about it. And I know it's aimed predominantly at the, at the freelancer market, but I could equally see it being really relevant to people who are trying to start their own businesses small scale to begin with. Yeah, uh, as a freelancer myself, like as soon as I heard... Um, what free agent was about? I was Did like, I want to up? get involved <laughs> because <laughs> I know my tax deadline is coming up for me to put everything in, and I'm just like, I know I haven't kept enough of a note of expenses and all of that. It's just, and it's just a lot of. It's not even really the bookkeeping, which is what I was talking about. It's also um, for people just starting out that haven't done it before. Like this mm. will be my first year. Um, 
putting in a tax tax return it's just so difficult like the government make it so difficult to like know where to go where to sign up blah 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 you have to fill in so many different things and this mm. and that like luckily i live with an accountant amazingly Hopefully um, but it's yeah <laughs> i think so Good. um but it is just such a like confusing world and it's quite daunting as well and that's why everyone leaves it so long so something like this that could automate and make it easier for um freelancers is is yeah it's definitely such a good thing um but i think also it definitely could branch out into businesses as well because i'm sure there's like you said there's quite a lot of startup founders that don't have that business oh there's so many things it's it's brilliant that there are these online solutions now that make aspects of business bookkeeping easy because if i wanted to start my business i i'm an idiot like i don't understand tax i don't understand these these bits and pieces i would mm. i would gladly go for a service that made these things yeah. easier and i can understand why accounting accounting software solutions fly because on the one hand they might not appeal very mm. appear very sexy but as, as yeah. soon as you need them god they yeah. are they are like you know they're gold dust yeah that's the balance with startups isn't it it's often the ones that you know might not seem that interesting or whatever on the surface are actually ones that are really useful yeah. and and yeah they're quite practical and that can be seem a bit boring but it's like they have more longevity than something that's just a bit more flashy and fixing a proper problem yeah definitely there is a problem there that there yeah. are people like me and you who are idiots and yeah. need help <laughs> Exactly. Sorry, Sean. No, no, it's it's a very fair point. Um, and also in the automation, I thought that was really interesting because uh, it just hits home, like how the fear about uh, automation and machine learning and an AI like taking away jobs and everything, mm-hmm. how it's just going to take away the boring stuff and do that for us, mm-hmm. and, and that you're still going to always need well at least for the foreseeable future, you're still going to need that human element because machines can't. They don't understand context and they don't mm. understand, um, you know, future trends and things. So, yeah, it's like just taking away the monotonous copy and pasting, filling in spreadsheets, all of that, um, which I think everyone can get on board with. Yeah. Happy days. Um, what do you think about his comment about all the cool kids in Shoreditch? You know, yeah. they, they can't get all the cool kids in Shoreditch, but conversely... That's a positive thing because actually they get good longevity and, and, and buy-in from their staff. Attrition and turnover rates are very high within the technology mm. industry and we're very London-centric in our thinking around that. When we had Ticker on the show a few weeks ago and they were building a team in Liverpool, it was one of the things that they talked about. And I think that that should be stated by the regions. You know, mm. if, if you're building a business, a, a startup technology business outside of London, yeah, the talent pool might be smaller. But that isn't always a negative thing. No, because you will get people um, staying on for longer, like he mm. said, because in London there's just so much opportunity that as soon as, you know, you spy kind of a better deal for yourself or you just fancy a change, it's easy to do and you probably just have to move to, like, the co-working space down the road. So it's... Unless you kind of got a lot of loyalty to the start in particular mm. because you were there from the start or you know you have close relations or whatever there's no reason for you to just kind of stick around in a place that's not doing it for you whereas and I, th- I would imagine from the vc point of view if you've got a business that has better attrition rates and therefore your team is growing in a sustainable way that's surely going to lead to 
hopefully uh, better results for the business, which can only be a good thing to invest in. So more incentive mm. for VCs to get out of London. Mm. And, and I know, you know, Ed and, and many others have said you, you might have to get on the train to go down to London to, to meet the VC community. But I, I think it's a, it's a narrative that suggests that the VC community should be getting out and doing more in regional cities and seeing what's going on uh, outside of the bubble in, in the southeast. Yeah, like there's definitely a lot of, you know, fear around, oh, businesses setting up outside of London. But at the end of the day, like he said, the really only thing you need to travel for is meetings or VC investment. You can do so much remote-based work now that it's not going to really impact you if you're not within the tech bubble. You can still come and be part of it when you need to, but then Mm -hmm. go away and focus on your building the strength of your business and your team away from all the hubbub in London. Yeah. With that, I think we will say thank you to Ed for being the guest on the show this week. We will go to a quick break, and when we're back, we'll have one quick bit of tech news for you this Thursday. Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Our news article is taken from The Guardian. Jack would berate me for going to my favourite as per usual, but here we go. Uh, YouTube to adjust UK algorithm to cut false and extremist content. Um, views via recommendations such as borderline videos have halved in a similar US trial. So there's already precedent that this is working. That's good. So yeah, basically they're, they're experimenting with an algorithm to change and reduce the spread of what it calls borderline content in the UK after a similar trial in the US. According to the video sharing's chief exec, the move is intended to give a quality, sorry, to give quality content more of a chance to shine and has the effect of reducing views from recommendations by 50%. Wow. Yeah, see, this is definitely a good thing, but I'm I'm also skeptical now because with algorithms, they so don't always get it right, um, and sometimes you'll have content that's flagged um, and it shouldn't be, and then other content that should be falls under the radar, um, especially when it's content that's um, bringing in quite a lot of ad revenue mm. or sponsorship or any of that I think, I think the thing I have about recommendations the problem that I have rec- with recommendations and whilst they're great because it lets you discover stuff that you know the, the site keeps you hooked there because it kind of gets yeah. to know what you like yeah. and feeds you more of it but that narrows your horizon we mm-hmm. talk about social being an echo chamber recommendations lead you to ever narrowing horizons mm. uh, and what I do think that, that, that is good about this is that they've recognised that hearing a broad range of perspectives ultimately makes us stronger yeah. and more informed yeah. as a society even if we disagree with some of those views so if recommendations are reducing by 50% hopefully people will get more stuff that is challenging and leads to them questioning some of their own perspectives or assumptions yeah because it's human psychology it's like when you see different perspectives it's either going to confirm that you don't agree with that and that mm. you think you're right or it's going to um, shift inside you and you're going to be intrigued by it and, and get interested. Yeah. But it, yeah, the recommendations and algorithms and everything, that goes so deep. And I realised this when I lost my phone and um, 
my housemate gave me her phone. So things like Spotify, um, SoundCloud, like Twitter, Facebook, all of this was like all logged in on her accounts. Um, and then, so I had to go, and it's just like when I was, before I was like, while I was switching everything over, sorry, uh, it was like, wow, you rely so much on it because then when you go onto a, onto a platform and you don't have all of that, it's, it, there's a lot of content. Mm. And it's like, when it's not tailored to you, it's so strange. Like mm. you don't realize how much it's been personalized to you until you're in someone else's and you're like, what is going on? <laughs> also a point that I always make, recommendations and algorithms made Adam Sandler make a whole host of films for Netflix because Netflix decided that Adam Sandler was the most bankable film star in the world. Really? Proof that algorithms don't work. Also, your algorithm won't suggest that you should watch The Tuck Shop. Wow, that's just a load of load of BS, isn't it? Exactly. So, you know, you should go over to the Tech Talks YouTube channel and then you can watch uh, your favourite podcast in in, in the flesh. Boost boost those (laughs) recommendations. (laughs) Cool. Well, look, I think we'll give your crispy throat a rest. Thank you very I've much. I've never heard anyone describe that. <laughs> I don't know why I started saying it, but it just kind of... It just It sticks. It just, yeah, it just resonated with me. Sticks in, <laughs> sticks in the throat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, have a lovely weekend. Uh, this has been the quietest week of the year outside of Christmas, so I hope, I hope that you're having mm. a nice one. Uh, it'll probably be back to the mania of the normal working week next week. But enjoy your weekend, and until then, um, ciao. Bye-bye.